Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle. I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. We have followed the progress of drone technology frequently on this show, and many times it seems uh, pretty scary. Here's an example of drones being used to actually help people get better. It has to do with delivering drugs in uh, remote areas, and Emily Bancroft is here. You, um, you've you worked for this organization, Village Reach, since 2010. Now, just to be uh, clear, Village Reach delivers drugs to remote areas of Africa. Yes. By drone. Yes. How in the world did you get into this? <laughs> what, what, are you uh, an Africa file, or, I mean, what, what's your interest? <laughs> well, let me back up a little bit. Um, so Village Reach is a Seattle-based organization. We were mm-hmm. founded here um, by a about almost 20 years ago. Um, by someone who worked in the telecommunications industry and had a really strong interest in how you reach people, um, whether it's with phone services or whether it's with medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got really interested in this issue of how do you actually make sure that everybody, every child that needs to be vaccinated, every person that needs medicine has it. And he was Cameroonian. So the tie to Africa was very clearly for nice. him going back to, to his roots and where he had worked and the challenges that he had seen um, in healthcare delivery. Right. So drones didn't come along right away, of course. That's a much newer technology. But this idea of how do you make sure that everybody is reached with medicines is something Village Reach has been working on for 20 years. And so you have a demonstration project going on now in Congo? In Congo. So how yeah. does that work exactly? Yeah. We've been doing a lot of supply chain improvement work, trying to get vaccines out to kids in rural parts of Congo for the last three years. Um, And we started realizing that one of the biggest challenges we were facing is that these are very remote areas of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, The province that these drones are flying in, um, it's river-based. So people travel mostly by boat Mm -hmm. to get places. And then once you get to, you know, the, the, the town or the village on the river, you then have to go inland, you know, by by a motorcycle, by walking. And we had been looking at drones um, really the past six, seven years as they started to become more commercially interesting and people started paying attention to drones. We started really saying we think that there's a a real medical application to this technology. And DRC is the perfect place to test that because these distances are so far, because it's so expensive to travel by boat or because it takes so much time for people to reach. Yet the distances as the crow flies or as the bird flies are actually not that far. Mm-hmm. And so these smaller drones that can carry medicines, um, it really seemed like a perfect place to, to sure. demonstrate that. So if you're in a, in a remote clinic somewhere mm-hmm. that isn't served by uh, a road yeah. or you know, whatever – uh, how do you order the, the medicine? Yeah, it's a great question. What actually ends up happening most of the time is that the health worker leaves the health facility. So it's usually one nurse um, or one medical technician who's working in a rural facility. There might be two people there, but somebody actually leaves the facility and walks or takes a boat to their district. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, their county hub, if you were here in, in King County. Um, and they bring with them a piece of paper saying, this is what we need. This is what we've used. And we need this much resupply. But you can imagine the challenges with that. One, you have to leave your facility. Yeah. You know, it takes you like for the instance of the the facility that we can talk about um, where the drones were, were delivering. It's about a six hour trip for the health worker to walk there and come back. So they're closed all day at the mm-hmm. facility. And it's not, you know, they can't do that quickly. Right. They have to choose the right day. And so mm-hmm. often we find that there are stockouts of medicines because of this sort of inefficiency in delivery. Um, and so. You know, what the drones do is allow the health worker to actually 
well, we've done a lot of calculations of what's needed in each facility. So we've been working with these facilities for a number of years. So we now know this is what they need in terms of, of vaccines. This is how much they use in an average. So you can have them on a regular delivery system. So we can have them on a regular delivery system. And what's really interesting is that health workers are actually then writing their orders and putting them into the drone for the oh. return flight. So then they don't have to come and bring Like those little order. bank capsules where you right, used to put right, your exactly, check in and exactly. it goes to the head it office. It goes back. So, <laughs> so this sort of two-way delivery is, we're finding is really useful. There are a lot of things that need to go back to their district or regional hub. So things like lab tests that need to be processed, um, as I said, orders. Um, that makes they can a lot of sense. Put that in the drone and send so, who's, so who is running this drone service? So we are working with, one, the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So both the National Ministry of Health, the Civil Aviation Authority, the Department of Defense, all the groups that need to be involved when it comes to flying aircraft in mm-hmm. a country. Um, and also the what's called the provincial um, medical hmm. office. I would think well. Amazon would, would want to be in well, on this. We are working with a private company. Um, the the company that's that's working with us in uh, the DRC is a company called Swoop Aero. They're based in Australia. Uh-huh. Um, Amazon did not bid on the tender for this really? particular service I'm in the shocked. Democratic Republic of Congo, so they must not be ready yet. Um, but but certainly, you know, there there has to be a public private partnership. There's no yeah. government that can do this on their own at this point. They need the technology and the vehicles to be provided by private partners. I was just talking with one of our, our military consultants on how drones are being used in battle these days. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if there is, because I mean, Congo has not been the most peaceful exactly. of places, yeah. is there a trust issue when you know, when you know that when you see a drone fly overhead and land yeah. in your town, yeah. uh, how do you know it's carrying medicine? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question and something that over the past even six years as we've been looking at this technology has been one of the things that we've been very focused on is how do you make sure that there's a community trust to actually want to, to make this okay? And how do you make sure that the government is actually okay with this and it's not misused? Um, and so there's a pretty significant process that we've gone through around meeting with every community that's part of this demonstration um, and meeting with them and talking through the drone, showing them to them, having them look at them, talking about what's going to happen um, and getting their perceptions and their fears sort of out early and having community leaders be engaged in that. And what we found, honestly, is that there's quite a bit of excitement. Um, When we did the demonstrations, uh, my colleague who was there was joking that, you know, they really had to actually keep the community uh, back and away from from touching them. And even those that were unsure at first, and and parents were willing to have their children vaccinated by the vaccines that came out of the drone. And that was another thing that we were really wondering is, so have you been out there in the field? I have. It's pretty amazing. Um, As I said, you know, most of your travel is by boat. So although this particular area, um, Ecuador province, where this where these demonstrations are happening, um, it's actually only about an hour and a half flight from Kinshasa, the capital of DRC. But it's a completely different world when you get there because the only way to get to Kinshasa is by flight or by water. Um, And so, you know, you really see these villages that have really built up with the the local infrastructure that's available there. A lot of fishing. you know, there's actually good food production in these areas, um, but just incredibly, incredibly rural and incredibly long distances to travel for services. And I've worked in other places in sub-Saharan Africa. I've worked a lot in East and Southern Africa, um, but I definitely did find that that the Democratic Republic of Congo brings a whole sort of new challenge. It's the size of Western Europe. So it's just a massive country. Um, and each province is very, very different. Yeah, everything in Africa turns out to be bigger than you think. Bigger than you think, it? exactly. Um, you have had an interesting career. So you're a clinical instructor in the Department of Health Services at the um, UW. Yes. So you're, I mean, your focus is in public health. My focus is in public health, But yes. were, were you always thinking about doing something like this overseas? Um, you know, 
Yes and no. So early on, I actually always say that that I got into public health because I spent time um, working with a. I had a friend whose dad was a pediatric surgeon, and I went down to Haiti with him when I was quite young, mm-hmm. and uh, really got interested in healthcare delivery. Thought I would be a doctor, um, and then went back to Haiti a few years later and realized that medicine wasn't really the the only challenge. Obviously, poverty um, and a lot of inequity and and other issues were what was really causing a lot of the medical challenges that you saw. And that's what got me interested in public health over medicine. Um, but I spent the early part of my career actually working domestically. I'm working here in Seattle with helping nonprofits in the social sector here in Seattle use technology, helping communities have access to technology, worked with the city of Seattle for a while. And it was when I went back and got my master's in public health that I really said, you know, I really want to figure out how to apply some of this globally as well. Yeah. So I'm curious, does any of this, because we have remote areas in the United States Absolutely. too, that are certainly underserved by by uh, medicine. I, I, you know, it's not nothing like uh, Congo, but it, the, the kind of efficiencies you're creating in these hard-to-reach areas. Can any of that be applied here? Absolutely. In fact, you're actually seeing right now a real interest in how drones could be used to deliver medicines to um, island-based populations, um, certainly up in rural Alaska. Some of the technologies that we look at beyond drones that could be applied in sub-Saharan Africa, we've seen used up in rural Alaska to reach really remote and rural communities. You know, and here in Washington State, you know, certainly some of the areas where people don't have a lot of healthcare services, thinking about how to bring those services closer, you know, that's the type of work that Village Reach does. So we have not yet applied um, any of our work here in Washington State, but it's starting to become a topic that we're really talking about because I think, you know, Africa is very focused on reducing health inequity. And that's something here in Washington State that there's a very, very strong interest in as well. And we're starting to see a number of organizations that have worked globally start to say, you know, well, global is global, right? It's not, it's not just other places. It's here as well. And so how do we bring together some of the healthcare challenges and access challenges that we see here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. with some of the ways that those are being addressed in other parts of the world? When you travel to these places and set up these programs, you, you are representing America, essentially. How do they feel about us? You know, um, I have worked in global health through, you know, a number of different time periods. And when I really got started, it was at the height of the HIV epidemic. um, And the United States was seen as an incredible global leader. I mean, we had really brought um, just resources that nobody could even imagine to addressing HIV and to building health systems as a part of that response to HIV. And this was really under the president's initiative, um, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, and which has now gone through a number of different um, administrations. Um, and, and these days, you know, I think that it's still a long tail of that sort of respect for what mm-hmm. the U.S. has provided in terms of global assistance. Um, but there's certainly a change. Um, you're seeing a lot more uh, sort of European and Asian influence in sub-Saharan Africa in terms of the resources that are given. I think the U.S., although still a leader in development, um, you know, people recognize that we're having challenges with our own healthcare system mm-hmm. um, and with our So we've own. pulled back is what you're saying? Um, in, yes, absolutely. I mean, look at family planning. We've, we've completely reversed some of the, um, some of the things that the U.S. was doing in order to provide resources to ensure that um, women had access to whatever they needed to make mm-hmm. decisions about when they wanted to have children or not have children. Um, you know, we've reversed a lot of that under the current administration and certainly pulled back on some of the resources. And we've been a bit less consistent as well. It's a bit harder to know how the U.S. is going to show up because on an annual basis, it does seem to change. So I guess what I'm getting at is is how important. I realize we're getting beyond what your mission is, but um, 
I, I guess as, as somebody who's done a lot of traveling, I I want to know that the <laughs> that the countries I visit have a good feeling about yeah. America. And so I, yeah. I, and so, how important is it? Do you think that that we are seen as um, what helping them as opposed to trying to impose our own agenda on them? Yeah, I think incredibly important. Um, and again, I think we still have a huge amount of respect for what we've done to support global development. But um, there's a there's concern that that is changing and that that will change. How can we contribute into broader initiatives that are really led by the governments in sub-Saharan Africa as opposed to the U.S. saying this is the way that you need to deliver services? Mm-hmm. When you introduce something as highly technological as a drone into a village where they're living much as they did, what, 2,000 years ago? Um, how is that accepted? And are are there concerns? Are there people who would rather be left alone and who see this as the the nose under the tent? You know, first the drone, which is nice. Our our kids aren't dying as much. But then pretty soon comes the, you know, the cars and the highways and all the rest that comes with that. Well, I think there are two different ways that I'd answer that. Um, One actually would be to talk a little bit about Ebola, which is also going on in the Democratic Republic Mm -hmm. of Congo right now. And one of the things that we've seen, and it's going on in a different part of the country where um, the drone demonstrations are are going right now, but there's quite a bit of interest in how could drones be used to support the Ebola um, response. But in that area of the DRC, what what you're seeing is a community that feels like, you know, Nobody's been here to help us through the wars that we're going through, through the day-to-day conflict that we've had. And now all of a sudden you're coming in with this massive medical response to this one health issue, when in reality, we have a lot of challenges that we're facing as a community. And so you see that community distrust come up in terms of how communities are responding to health providers. and Those, those we only care in. when it's something scary enough. When it's enough. something that is scary enough. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of distrust that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So we feel it's really important to make sure that when we are doing the work that we're doing, that we're doing it in full collaboration with, you know, when you come in and do this just in an emergency, I think it raises a lot of concern. If you have a long-term commitment to working in an area and you work with communities to introduce new technologies over time, I think you can address some of those barriers. But if you just swoop in, you know, deliver the service and swoop out again, and especially if it's at a time when there's a real community concern or a health issue going on, I think there is quite a bit of distrust. And those rumors and, um, you know, we've had issues in other countries with, um, being, you know, wondering, will people think of drones as as somehow, you know, will there be, do they think that there's witchcraft involved or something like that? You know, various community perceptions that I come wonder up. that myself sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a fair concern. And so I think for us, it's really integrating these technologies into places where we have deep relationships and where we can spend the time to work with the community on their perception and their desires and whether or not they think this is a good technology. And what we're finding right now is people are very excited about this. It does not displace the need for roads. It does not displace the need for ambulances that can move people quickly when they're sick. But at the same time, these are communities where the families want to get their children vaccinated. There's demand for that. And they don't want to come to a health facility and have there be no vaccines there for their yeah. children. And so that trade-off and, and seeing how things are advancing so far has been very exciting and interesting to the communities in this part of, of the Congo. So it sounds like you're going to stick with this career, huh? 
<laughs> I think I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's satisfying to you. Is that- it's, it's incredibly satisfying. And, and I think I am becoming more and more interested in, in how to also get re-engaged locally. As I said, I started my career working locally here in Seattle. And, and I do feel this you know, immense interest in figuring out how to bridge these two worlds because this is a global world, right? We are not the U.S. We are not Africa. It's a global world and all of these things connect. Emily Bancroft is the president of Village Reach. Emily, thank you very much. Thank you. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.